Our first scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 to 21. Genesis 15, verses 17 to 21. And uh, as I mentioned the other week, the word uh, covenant isn't used in the Bible except in one uh, debated passage for the covenant of grace. Um, the, sorry, for the covenant of works. The covenant of grace, uh, it isn't called a covenant until Genesis 15. And so this is the first time in the scripture where the covenant of grace is referred to as a covenant as such. And uh, that's why I read the passage because we'll be dealing with that matter of the covenant of grace. So from verse 17 through to 21. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Then would you turn please to Galatians chapter 3. I'll read the first 14 verses. The text for the sermon is verses 10 through to 14, and then I'll read from the Westminster Confession. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now text, for as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus 
the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then from the Westminster Confession, chapter 7 and article 3, which you can find in your bulletin. Just the one article today. Man, by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offereth unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would constantly remind us of what we know concerning your loving kindness and grace. We pray, Father, that you would deepen our understanding of it and that you would strengthen our conviction concerning it and increase also our resolve to respond to your grace with gratitude by your gracious aid. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, as you might recall, we were considering previously the covenant of works the arrangement that God made with Adam and Eve when they were perfect still before the fall. An arrangement in which God promised that he would give them life, physical life, spiritual life and eternal life on condition of their perfect obedience. We saw last time that this was a promise, this promise of life in all those different levels and ways. It was a promise of life that was uh, more than they deserved uh, in the sense that they were only called to do their duty and yet God so richly promised blessing upon them uh, far beyond anything that they did. And therefore it was a demonstration of God's graciousness. And then there was also this condition or requirement, we might say, that came because uh, God is the creator and ruler. He was the creator of Adam and Eve, and he is our creator and ruler as well, and man is but a mere creature and a subject, and therefore there was from the start in that covenant of works this requirement of obedience, of complete obedience. Now in Article 3, we move on to the situation after the fall, when a greater measure of grace was now needed if anyone were to receive that life that God had promised to Adam and Eve before the fall. Because now, after the fall, man is a sinner and he needs redeeming grace then from that point onwards. Hence the term covenant of grace, as that's used also here in Article 3 in the Westminster Confession, not used in order to say that there was no grace of any kind in the covenant of works, but due to the fact 
that after the fall, there is a pouring out, an abundance of redeeming grace shown to sinners at that point. We consider the text, a text from Galatians, as we look at this, because there the Apostle Paul is he's trying to dissuade the, the, the Galatians from acting as if they were still able to gain life by means of their own works. In a way, acting as if they were still simply under a covenant of works and all they needed to do was render that obedience and they would have the promise of life that God had given from the start. Two points as we look at that. First of all, law and curse. And secondly, Christ and faith. Law and curse on the one hand, Christ and faith on the other. Now, I want to begin as we look at law and curse, I want to begin by referring to the Westminster here, that third article, and note how it begins. It begins with these words, man by his fall, having made himself, it says uh, uncapable in the older versions we would say today, incapable, incapable of life by that covenant, that covenant of works. And in a way, this is the very point that the Apostle is arguing against the Galatians who wanted to be able to justify themselves by their own law-keeping, people like the Judaizers who said that you had to obey, in particular, the Old Testament ceremonial laws such as circumcision if you were to be saved, as if that keeping of the law would somehow get you somewhere with God. Perhaps they felt that they had some biblical basis for that, for that view, even after the fall, because of passages like Leviticus 18 verse 5 that says, You shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. And that was a promise that was made in the Mosaic covenant. That was a promise that was made after the time of the covenant of works, after the time of the fall, rather. It was a time uh, in which it's part of the covenant of grace, really, the Mosaic covenant, uh, taking that covenant of grace and fitting it out for the nation of Israel. And so you can, in a way, understand that the Judaizers and others looked at passages like that and they said, well, this is given to people after the fall. This is part of the covenant of grace. And yet still it says... If you do God's judgments, if you keep his statutes and judgments, then you will live. But of course, that wasn't all that the scripture said, and they were ignoring other critical parts uh, in addition to these words in Leviticus 18. Remember then what the Westminster Confession said in chapter 6, how it summarized the scripture teaching on the nature of man after the fall. Because if we're going to understand Leviticus 18 verse 5 rightly, we need to take into account the nature of man after the fall. And the Westminster in chapter 6 summarised it this way, that man is dead in his sin, wholly defiled, disabled, opposed to all good, wholly inclined to all evil, guilty, bound over to the wrath of God and bound over to the curse of the law and so forth. So to say that man can still live according to a covenant of works, to say that man can take all of God's statutes and judgments and keep them and then he will have life, it's a bit like saying to a man 
who has broken his own legs by his own foolish actions, and he's broken both of his legs as a result. And that man then being told that he can have some fruit that's uh, hanging up in a tree if he can only just jump high enough to reach it. Well, yes, the fruit is there, and anyone who can jump that high can reach it, but unfortunately this man has disabled himself, to use the language of the Westminster uh, in chapter 6, article 4, speaking about man's sin. Adam disabled himself and his descendants, and he did so, he completely disabled them. And that's why we talk in reform circles about total inability. Or we could put it another way, to use this other kind of language, we could say total disability or total incapability. The promise and condition of the covenant of works is, in a sense, it still remains. It is still true that if a man would completely obey everything God said, that he would receive life. In a sense, that is still true. But what is a sinner to do? Because he cannot fulfill that condition. He can't do what is necessary in order to obtain the blessing of life. He cannot jump high enough. And that is a problem there, not with the covenant of works. It's a problem with man the sinner. In fact, the situation is even worse than having uh, just a, let's call it a spiritual disability. You know, we live in a time where the strength and skill of those who are disabled is given a lot of attention, uh, Paralympics and so forth. And no doubt that's a, a good development in our culture to uh, recognise that those who are physically disabled and those who are mentally disabled can do a lot of things beyond what people used to give them or recognise that they could do, and that's a good thing. But there is nothing positive about spiritual disablement, the spiritual disablement of sinners. It is, in fact, connected to a curse. Verse 10, For as many are of the works of the law are under a curse. And the, the apostle explains why. Because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 which needs to be taken alongside the passage in Leviticus. Leviticus says, if you do all these things, you'll live. Deuteronomy says, yes, but you have to do all of them to live. And that's precisely the problem, that man cannot do that. He is disabled. Remember the requirement of the covenant of works upon condition of perfect and personal obedience, as the Westminster said it. Well, man is not able to do that. He's not able to meet that condition. And in addition to that, he has also a curse upon him. Those two things are connected, but disability is one thing. The curse says even more than that. The curse of which Adam was warned, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. So there's not only an inability to obey perfectly in order to gain life, but on top of that, man has the opposite of that life, 
he has the curse of death upon him, including spiritual death, alienation from God. So the man who needs to jump in order to reach the fruit that's up there hanging on the tree, and he no longer has the ability to jump that high, has an additional problem that he's not only disabled, he's also dead. And dead men don't even try to jump, even if they could. Let me put this another way. If you want to be saved by impressing God with what you do, by your obedience to his laws, then there's a number of things that are going to be needed. First of all, you're going to have to have the curse lifted. And along with that, the penalty that the law prescribes for disobedience, death, which is the large part of that curse, uh, you have to have that paid. And that curse taken care of and that debt paid, you also need then to be given life in its place. And then that being so, you would then need to obey all of God's laws perfectly. And dead men with broken legs and also for that matter broken arms and blinded eyes and deaf ears, such people cannot do any of these things. They can't solve any one of those aspects of this problem. And that is why the Judaizers and the Pharisees in New Testament times were so wrong in their teaching, a teaching that was so harmful, because they were telling sinners that they could actually justify themselves in God's sight by their works of the law, while God was saying to them, for example, through the Apostle Paul in verse 11, that no one can be justified by the law. Now, some of you may have done some study on other religions. And this is uh, something that is worth doing, because uh, not only because that helps us if we meet people from other religions that we know and have a bit of understanding of uh, where they're coming from, but uh, it also helps us in this way that studying other religions can highlight the differences between the Christian faith and every other single religion in this entire world. And uh, I can say this with certainty that the, the Christian faith has uh, truths that are different than any other religion in the world. In fact, there are, there are great similarities between all the other religions of the world over against the Christian faith. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, tribal religions, they all teach in some way that men can justify themselves by what they do. And the same is true with the cults and sects. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. It's also true with Roman Catholicism. And even to an extent in non-reformed Protestant denominations because Arminianism, like Roman Catholicism, teaches that man can attain the blessing at least in part by an act of his own free will, an act of faith coming by his own free will. The idea being that God saw that man couldn't obey, a perfect, couldn't obey his law perfectly after the fall, so knowing that no one can reach up to that fruit, God lowered the bar. He made it easier. He made as his requirement now simply that you have to have faith, which is uh, easier than having to obey all the laws. 
that's the uh, idea that uh, underlies a lot of the teaching in both Romanism and also Arminianism. Though, uh, to be sure, they acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is needed, but in addition to that, they have this idea of that free will jump by man where he's able to, in some way, contribute to his own reaching up to take the blessing. The point I want to make is that it is really only the Reformed faith that takes with full seriousness what is said here that no one is justified by the law. That uh, those uh, who are under the works of the law are in fact under a curse and only the Reformed faith that takes with the full uh, seriousness of it what's said in the Westminster in this Article 3, that man has made himself incapable of life by works. And that that is why something more than a covenant of works is needed. Well, the Westminster in this third article uh, tells us that there is indeed, it's only summarising from the Scripture, the Scripture teaches that there is indeed a different way. That the Lord was pleased to make a second covenant, a covenant of grace, where he freely offers both salvation from sin and life to sinners through Jesus Christ. Our second and final point, Christ and faith. The Apostle Paul broaches this in verse 11 with the quote from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The righteous man shall live by faith. And uh, he is not presenting this statement as some idea that the requirement used to be works, but after the fall man couldn't quite reach up to perfect works of the law, so now he's got just a work of faith, an easier thing to work up to. He doesn't present it in that way. But this is a shorthand way of saying what this third article says, that God offers life and salvation by Christ, but the only way of knowing him and being joined to him is by faith in him, That's the only way that one may be saved. So not not faith as a lower standard that man has to jump up to reach, but faith that is necessary in order to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3 verse 13, the apostle goes on to say that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us by his death on the cross. Just as in the Old Testament a body that was hung up on a tree, a dead body hanging on a tree. You could think of Absalom hanging by his hair after he was killed. And you think of that, and it's evidence of someone being cursed. Deuteronomy 21, 23. Anyone left dead hanging on a tree, that's a sign of God's curse. Anyone left dead hanging on a cross, that is a sign of being cursed. But there in those very words, we see problem number one, down. The curse of death taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the curse for us upon himself and dying for us. We also know from Scripture that the Lord Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father for us. Problem number two taken care of, our inability to keep the law. That's also addressed by the Lord Jesus. And in addition to that, as we read here 
in verse 14, the Lord Jesus also sent forth his Spirit who gives that gift of faith so that we may lay hold of him instead of vainly trying to win his approval by our flawed works of the law, we receive his Spirit who gives us the gift of faith, not a free will jumping on man's part to reach some lowered standard, but the work of God's Spirit creating in us that which joins us to the Lord Jesus. So everything he has done on the cross, taking care of the curse, paying the debt, dealing with our sin, and everything he did in his life, his perfect obedience, all of that becomes ours by faith. The Westminster in this third article, uh, refers to this in these terms where it says that God gave to all ordained to life his Holy Spirit to make us willing and able to believe. Faith as a gift to unite us in Christ rather than faith as some condition that man manages to achieve. Grace seen in this at so many levels the Lord Jesus taking the curse, the Lord Jesus perfectly obeying all of God's law for us, the Lord Jesus sending out his spirit so that even faith, which we can't somehow manage to work up in our our sinful selves, even that is given to us. Grace at every point, no wonder it is called a covenant of grace. Now that's not to say that works are irrelevant or unimportant for the Christian. True, we cannot be saved by our works, But precisely because the Lord Jesus has given us life and salvation and has poured out his spirit, precisely because of that, we can begin to demonstrate that life, that spiritual life that we have through him. The Lord Jesus himself taught that, uh, he said, make the tree good and its fruit good. Matthew 12 verse 33 And he added, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, in verse 35 of that same passage. So the Lord Jesus made his people good in principle, and he poured out his spirit, not only that we should be able to have faith, because of the work of the spirit, able to have that faith, and avail ourselves of all of that work and benefit of the Lord Jesus, but also his spirit who enables us to start showing the fruit of that. Even though our best works are only a small start, nevertheless, the Spirit works in us so that we begin to do good out of gratitude. We begin to show the fruit of the life that we have received. But that's not the same thing as trying to earn God's favour by our works, which is not good fruit, it's a lie. It is a lie based on a wrong view of oneself, of man, a wrong view of sin, a wrong view of law, as well as a failure to see what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us and why that was so necessary. Understanding this is crucial for the Christian life. It is necessary for our motivation. The motivation to show good fruit and to do good works because we see how much grace there is in this covenant of grace, how much grace there is through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that increases our gratitude, it increases our desire to serve him faithfully and zealously. It is crucial for the Christian life also because 
it is necessary for our humility to see how poor even our best works are, how far they are, and that includes also our our own uh, exercise of faith. That too is a poor work on our part. And when we see how poor that is, we remember how dependent we are then on the grace of the Lord Jesus. Understanding these things is necessary too for our assurance of salvation. Because we know as we consider these truths that our poor works could never be a basis for certainty that we are saved. And it is necessary for us to give all glory and praise to God. To give all glory and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ rather than trying to take something and claim something for ourselves by way of some contribution. All glory to the one who was willing to fall far enough into brokenness and uh, into uh, um, humiliation. And yet he was also able to jump high enough in his exaltation to obtain for us the fruit of life and salvation that we could never reach for ourselves, not since the time of the fall. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your grace in establishing a covenant of grace so that sinners could be saved from being cursed and condemned. Though, Father, we also know that uh, no man can justify himself before you on the basis of works of the law. We know that, but we confess that we often forget it. And we think of ourselves as doing well and pleasing you without remembering that it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his work, that we can be made acceptable. Father, we therefore pray that you would help us to continue to look to him, both for our life and our salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen. If the Lord would mark transgression, then who could stand? But uh, those who look to the Lord Jesus uh, by way of contrast, and what a strong contrast it is, pardoned fully. Sold to hymnal 272, we'll stand to sing, and would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology. 272.
after the blessing as our doxology, we sing hymn number 490. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>